Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we are beginning the 26th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam. King Puranjan goes to the forest to hunt and his queen becomes angry. Hmm. Oma Jnana Timarandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshura Militam Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha So it's an interesting chapter. We'll see if we can, it's only 26 verses. We'll see if we can do it all today. The great sage Narada said, so this is verses one to three. My dear king, once upon a time, <laughs> it begins like a once upon a time, King Paranjana took up his great bow and equipped with golden armor and a quiver of unlimited arrows and accompanied by 11 commanders. He sat on his chariot driven by five swift, swift Horses, these are all allegorical, right? The whole thing, the 11 commanders, uh, five swift horses, and went to the forest named Panchaprasta. He took with him in his chariot two explosive arrows that I remember is uh, thinking I and mine. <clears throat> the chariot itself was situated on two wheels and one revolving axis, axle. On the chariot were three flags. What were the three flags? That's right, three modes of material nature. One rein, one chariot driver, one sitting place, two poles to which the harness was fixed, five weapons, and seven coverings. The chariot moved in five different styles, and five obstacles lay before it. All the, decora all the uh, decorations of the chariot were made of gold. So, um, Prabhupada talks about the three flags. These three qualities are described in this verse as three flags. By a flag, one can come to know who the owner of the chariot is, right? Right? Like, uh, what kind of what is on Arjuna's chariot? What flag? Hanuman. Okay, very good. Any others that you know of? Flags. On the core of it, someone has an elephant. Lord Krishna has Garuda. Okay, very good. So you can tell, you know who's, even if it's far distance and you can't see the, the person, you can tell by the flag. So similarly, hmm, similarly, by the influence of the three qualities of material nature, one can easily know the direction in which the chariot is moving. We can see uh, how people are um, uh, influenced. Let's talk about the three modes of material nature for a second. Um, this is, I did a little research on this, so we'll talk about it. So, Krishna's, uh, so there's two inferior energies, right? The gross and the subtle, right? Bhumira, Po, Nalova, the five gross elements, and then mind, intelligence, and ego, and sometimes also chitta, or uh, consciousness. Okay, so uh, that's, that's the inferior energies. And then they're constantly in flux, uh, those, uh, the inferior energy, whether it's our body is in flux all the time or whether it's a planet 
the planet's in flux all the time. Um, although the underlying substance of the three modes is uh, changeless and eternal, or, right? Permanent, okay? Um, is that clear so far? Okay. So then material nature manifests itself, this material nature that's changing and all that, although it's uh, permanent on one hand and changing on the other, right? It manifests itself in the three modes of material nature, okay? So <clears throat> and these are kind of perceivable qualities. If, you, if we're attuned to things, thank you, if we're attuned to things, we can uh, notice the modes of material nature at work um, because they're at work in everything. Right? You can, they're, um, they're at work in the kind of food we eat. Right? They're at work in the kind of faith that we have, in the kind of work that we do, in the kind of worship that we do, um, in charity that's given, in, in uh, the philosophy that we adhere to, in, in our interactions, and even buildings can be uh, influenced by the, are, are a manifestation of the modes of material nature. So they're like all pervasive, right? And so there's, there's three, uh, just like there's three um, primary colors. Anyone know what the three primary colors are? Yeah, yellow, red, and blue. Yeah, and sometimes it's true what Prabhuji said that uh, in modern times, sometimes they're uh, getting rid of yellow and putting in green. But traditionally, uh, red, yellow, and blue. Right? But, but the point, but the thing is, when you think about it, you rarely see those pure colors. Right? Even, I don't know if like uh, um, <coughs> Henry's shirt is the pure yellow. It might be a kind of yellow that's mixed with one of the other, you know, colors, right? Or that blue that you have on, right? Or the uh, Ralph Lauren insignia there, the red one, uh, or whatever, right? So, so and that's the same thing with the modes of material nature. It's very rare that you just say, oh, goodness. Usually it's tinged with some passion, a little ignorance, or, or vice versa. And Krishna even says the, the, in the Bhagavad Gita, the modes of material nature compete with one another, right? And sometimes... Passion is more prevalent, and so you know, even the time of day, right? Mode of goodness more in the date, uh, in the morning. Mode of passion more in the afternoon, and more ignorance in, at night. So um, now, our free will in this world is basically choosing which mode of material nature we're going to be influenced by. So we do have free will, but it's free will within those choices. Right? Unless, of course, one takes a devotional service, then that's, that's, we'll get to that. It's not working? Okay. What to do? Thank you for your effort. Um, and, then, and then, so we have, according to our Purva Samskars, our previous impressions from previous lives and our own free will, we get attracted to some modes and less attracted to others, right? Some people, for example, music. Some people are attracted to um, uh, classical music, right? Some people are attracted to hip-hop or uh, heavy metal, right? Or country and western. <laughs> I don't know what mode of material nature. <laughs> anyway. Uh, 
But you know, they're, they're those you would think, I guess, classical music is more influenced by the mode of goodness. And what speak of music using the different ragas, classical in, uh, uh, Vedic Indian music. So the influences are are everywhere, and we get attracted according to our modes. We try to we kind of like match our modes with the modes out there, right? So if we're really passionate, we might I don't know drive a a, a charger or something like that, right? With a big engine and stuff like that, right? And more sattvic, I don't know, uh, maybe a Prius, <laughs> right? Or whatever, you know what I mean? Or, or, or the way we keep our car clean. Is, more, is it more influenced by sattvic? And if it's a really a mess, and you know, you, you, somebody, you're, you're afraid to give somebody a ride back from, you know, they, 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 their car broke down because, oh my God, my car is such a mess, right? So they're, they're all over the place. Uh, and we're attracted and repulsed based on our matching modes with the other modes, right? You know, like sometimes we might think, oh my God, how could somebody like that kind of music? Right? Somebody in the mode of passion might say, oh, classical music is so boring, right? And then, you know, uh, someone, uh, right, who... Like classical music, they they might say, you know, heavy metal. That you call that music, right? Yeah. So, uh, and same thing with food, right? You know, if if you ever had, have you ever had to go out on a work assignment with somebody who's non non veg, and you see what they're eating, and you, just, you know, we think, how could they, right? And uh, I had this one guy in uh, Billings, Montana. Who um, kept on? He he didn't call it vegan. He called it vegan. You're a vegan? That is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. He once had a vegan. It was so funny that of all the places in Billings, Montana, there's probably one vegan restaurant, and it happens to be in the same building he works. And he said, "I ordered a burger there, but they didn't tell me it was a vegan burger." Oh my god! I just threw it in the trash. Right. And then you know what? What we might see, we'd say, "Oh my god, you, you would eat that." You know, that dead corpse, right? So, um, and the modes of affect are the way we perceive reality as well, right? Um, a person effect, affected by the mode of goodness sees a unity in the world, right? person affected by, by the mode of passion, they, they focus on the differences and don't see much unity. And person in the ignorance, they don't see any truth at all. It's just... Just go home and have a few beers and go to sleep, you know, go to work the next day. Right? So the modes are very powerful things. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> they also dictate our destination in our next life. Right? One who's influenced primarily by the mode of goodness gets elevated to higher planets. One passion stays here. One ignorance, animal species are lower planets, right? So they, they're, um, so do we have free will? Um, yes, the modes affect us to the extent that we are trying to enjoy in this world and try to enjoy as opposed to doing everything for Krishna's pleasure. So is that, I don't know if that helps at all. That was a little mini talk on the modes of material nature. Some thoughts? Here we go. We have a mic. Hare Krishna. 
So it's always recommended we should try to, as much possible, chant early morning. Right. And uh, this is actually my personal experience also. It becomes difficult as the day progresses. It becomes difficult uh, determination-wise and, yeah. you know, desire-wise to pick up the beads. It's harder. Yeah, with some uh, effort and determination, if we can just at least keep the commitment of our rounds in the morning, we are better off and we can chant more at later part of the day if we happen to. Ideally, yeah. yes. It's ideal to um, have uh, our practice, which is called in Sanskrit sadhana, yeah. uh, in the morning, if, if it's yeah. at all possible according to our life. Henry gets up early in the morning as a sadhana. <laughs> So uh, the modes take over and we definitely get... Well, I don't know if they take over. We can... Uh, it's funny you say that because um, I was just listening... Uh, you mentioned the Katamrita, so I've been listening to that and Radha Swami lecture the other day. No, yesterday. And he was talking about how he can usually chant pretty well, but the hardest place he has to chant is in an airplane. Right? And, but then he told the story, and maybe some of you have heard the story, where he, the... Um, the landing wheels didn't work on the plane, and they announced this, and you know everyone was praying and freaking. And he said he'd never chanted better in his life, <laughs> even though he's in an airplane, than uh, all these spontaneous prayers for the goodwill of all living entities and the devotees and Chopadi. and this and that. So um, we we should we should try if we do have let's say some rounds left. Uh, from our vow of chanting 16 rounds and it's 4 in the afternoon or 8 at night or whatever, um, we should still try not to use it as an excuse to just, okay, shnik, shnik, giddy, 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 giddy. you know, just get, uh, what uh, Mahatma Prabhu calls them uh, courtesy rounds. <laughs> right? Because we can break through that, but as you're pointing out, it's harder. It's harder, you know, but it's possible, right? You know, it's possible. It's just... Uh, more of a challenge. I really liked your point when you said that it is the modes come into play when we are looking for enjoyment and versus, you know, when you are looking to serve Krishna, really, they don't mm -hmm. affect us. Yeah, so. they're not so... Uh, they, they can be totally non-existent if, our, if we're very um, tivrena bhakti yogina, very fixed, or they can at least be much less of a grip on us as we're uh, working to please Krishna. Yeah, that's the only way. And that's why the Shastra keeps on telling us, you know, um, not by yoga, not by jnana, not by karma, because <clears throat> only by bhakti does Krishna help us. Because there's a relationship, there's sambandha. Other thoughts? On the three modes? No? You're all free from them? Yes, microphone. Wait, wait. Uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, when you serve Krishna, the modes don't get affected. Um, they don't affect us. The They're affect still there, everywhere. The, yeah, that, that, that's what... The, so, uh, just curious to know how in the pure devotee's life to will be the same that like they are always always be on the uh, transcendental mode or like do, do they get I do see some senior devotees also get affected uh, on you know uh, how how we should see that uh, they are not affected by the modes well it's you know you, 
it's it's not affected or not affected. It's a it's a spectrum, right? As is ado shadha tata sadhu sangha tabajana kriya narta nivritti tato nishta ruchi ashakti bhava prema. Right, that's the whole spectrum from beginning to end. So, uh, um, people are at at different phases uh, of that, but also we you know it, it's. Um, we don't know if it's affected by, like, for example, Srila Prabhupada would sometimes get very upset, right? Especially if a devotee had, had made a, you know, some big error. So was that the modes of material nature affecting him? No. He, and, and in fact, some of the proof of that was that uh, devotees would notice that he could get extremely angry, and then the next second, right? Whereas for us, it usually takes, sometimes they say, 20 minutes to calm down a little bit. Once one's very passionate or ignorant, right? So Prabhupada was only doing that for service. So I think when we're observing other devotees, the main observation should be, what is their overall intention? And their overall intention is to serve Krishna. And whether Krishna maybe inspires them or whatever, that they get upset at this or, or, or you know, seem tired at that. The, the you know, Krishna is... Bhava Grahi Janardhan, right? One who accepts the essence of a devotee's sentiment. So if Krishna's like that, we should be, definitely be like that, right? We see another devotee and we say, well, he's a pure devotee, but he looks like he's a little tired in class today. You know, Krishna is Bhava Grahi Janardhan. We should, you know, uh, so we, you know, the example that we want to uh, learn from more uh, advanced devotees is their eagerness to serve Krishna. Is that all right? Thank you, Prabhu. Other thoughts? Yes, Nandamuki, pass the mic to her. Hare Krishna. I'm just remembering one, um, my personal think is a quite um, insightful um, description about the mode of nature that is by Chaitanya Charan Prabhu. He concluded by, uh, his description is that the modes of, three modes of, of material nature is a set of subtle laws that govern the interaction between the living entity and the matter. Mm, nice. And subtle laws that govern the interaction between the living entity and matter. Very nice. And he has a lot of examples about this. And he explained that every um, actions we do on this plane is actually can be categorized into the three uh, modes. Say... Like, like you get up in the morning and but the mode of goodness people may open up the window and listen to the churning of the birds and uh, say that's a nice day I want to take a take a walk and uh, uh, enjoy this beautiful scenery and right. the modes of passion people may open the window and say well nice place I'm going to buy a big house and uh, plan to branch up my uh, whatever business. And the mode of uh, people in mode of ignorance, they may open up the window and look at the sun and close the window when back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay, shall we move on? Uh, so the, you know, in the purport, there's a whole description here about um, 
what the different, all the allegorical components of, um, of the, from the translation. And we won't go into that in um, great detail right now, but you can read there. But we already said the two explosive weapons were the I am this body and everything in my bodily relation belongs to me. Right? And um, the word pancha means five, and this indicates the objects of the five senses in terms of pancha prasta, the body. Uh, the chariot has five horses, which represent the five sense organs, eyes, ears, nose, skin, and tongue. And it goes on. The two wheels are compared to the two moving facilities, namely sinful and religious life. The three flags we talked about. The five kinds of obstacles or uneven roads represent the five kinds of air passing within the body. The seven coverings are skin, muscle, fat, blood, marrow, bone, and semen, um, etc. It's all there in that purport. And uh, Prabhupada writes that the mind is always making plans with the ten commanders uh, to enjoy this material world. So that's the five working senses and the five knowledge-acquiring senses. And if, they're, um, if the mind is influenced by the mode of passion, then it's always making plans to enjoy in the material world. Okay, so that's that verse. Now on to four. It was almost impossible for King Purunjan to give up the company of his queen even for a moment. Nonetheless, on that day, being very much inspired by the desire to hunt, he took up his bow and arrow and with great pride, uh, with great pride, and went to the forest, not caring for his wife. So he went with his mind and senses, but what did he leave behind? His intelligence. All right, thank you, Jivatap. Yes, he left behind his, his intelligence. And uh, um, it's... It's bad enough that he had that he you know have material intelligence, right? But he didn't. He had no intelligence. <laughs> he just left the whole intelligence behind, right? So um, without his intelligence, he was uh, as Nardamuni and Prabhupada mentioned. He just acted in the mode of ignorance. <clears throat> Text five. At that time, King Purunjan was very much influenced by demoniac propensities. Because of this, his heart became very hard and merciless. And with sharp arrows, he killed one innocent animal. He killed many innocent animals in the forest, taking no consideration. And Prabhupada writes, in this age of Kali, the propensity for mercy is almost nil. Consequently, there is always fighting and wars between men and nations. Men do not understand that because they unrestrictedly kill so many animals, they also must be slaughtered like animals in big wars. This is very much evident in the Western countries. In the West, slaughterhouses are maintained without restriction, and therefore every fifth or ten year, there is a big war in which countless people are slaughtered even more cruelly than the animals. Sometimes during war, soldiers keep their enemies in concentration camps and kill them in very cruel ways. So I just did a little research into this just to give us a taste that since 2004, that's 15 years, there's 94 wars. And to give you some idea, these are all estimates, but 23 million people were killed in World War I. Million. 70 million in World War II. 
uh, Stalin killed at least 20 million of his own people. Um, Pol Pot killed one quarter of the entire population of Cambodia, about 2 million people. These are very rough estimates, but Chairman Mao killed approximately 30 million of his own Chinese people. That, you're laughing. It's true, right? Yeah. So um, that just gives you a little conf confirmation of what Srila Prabhupada is saying here. He says every fifth or ten year, 94 wars, some of them small, some of them big, since 2004. And many of them in the list, it goes which ones are concluded and which one are ongoing. Most of them, it seems, or a lot of them are ongoing. Let me just keep going. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not a uh, happy place. And war is, has anyone here ever lived in a war zone? Lived in a place where war was going on? No. It's no fun. It's no fun at all. <laughs> and a lot of uh, what uh, Stalin and I think Mao also did was um, kill their own people basically by uh, an artificial famine. Just creating... Uh, for example, the people in Ukraine, they basically starved them to death at one time, Stalin did. <coughs> so, and Prabhupada says here, kill them in very cruel ways. These are reactions brought about by unrestricted animal slaughter in the slaughterhouse and by hunters in the forest. Proud, demoniac persons do not know the laws of nature or the laws of God. Consequently, they unrestrictedly kill poor animals, not caring for them at all. Right? And, and you know most of most people were just oblivious. You know, uh, no one no one thinks twice. I, I didn't do the numbers right, but we know the numbers are ridiculous about like how many chickens are killed every year in America, and it's huge. I, I, you know, someone could Google it, but it's a huge. It's a crazy amount, right? But you know, but you're at a restaurant with somebody, and they say, "Oh, how's the chicken?" The the right response would be dead. Chicken's dead, <laughs> right? But instead, no, it's pretty good. No, you know, whatever, a little salty, whatever. But we, we, we just are very unconscious of these subtle laws of the world. And, it, and you go around, uh, you know, even like kind of a um, somewhat liberal town like Washington has very, what is, I don't know, 98% of the restaurants serve meat. Is that a fair estimation? What? More. More. 99%. Yeah, yeah. There's a few vegetarian or vegan restaurants, right? right? But, but practically everywhere. Everywhere. Right? And then what to speak of, like, Billings, Montana or something. <laughs> I said there was one, that one vegan restaurant. Right? Um, so pe we, and, and, and just oblivious to it. Don't think about that there's any cause and effect that Srila Prabhupada is mentioning here. In the Krishna conscious movement, animal killing is completely prohibited. Just like right now, there was some uh, mice, I think, in the temple or something like that. And so they're getting these have a heart traps that don't kill the, uh, the mice, right? Like that. Um, because one time Prabhupada said, well, can we kill the rats in the temple? Prabhupada said, you should be killed. <laughs> he said, the, cat, the rats are there because it's dirty. Right? He didn't mean that literally, but you know, he made the point that yes, uh, that we should go around killing devotees. That's not, not what he was saying. 
Uh, one is not accepted as a bona fide student in this movement unless he promises to follow the four regulated principles, no animal killing, no, and then the others, no intoxication, no illicit sex, no gambling. This Krishna consciousness movement is the only means by which sinful activities of men in this Kali Yuga can be counteracted. So it's uh, the first thing, you know, is to at least be a vegetarian and then be a prasadatarian and then chant Hare Krishna, right? But, you know, I know, we know that there's people who come, like on Sundays, even regularly, some of them may not be vegetarians. You know, it's just, uh, it's not um, unusual, but it's, it's, it's certainly unfortunate. Right? And isn't it funny, in India now they say, uh, veg and non-veg at a restaurant. What does that mean? That just means they serve meat. <laughs> and some of the preps are vegetarian. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, some thoughts on this? Yeah, I liked, I read that, and I liked how he gave a very clear line there. Because a lot of things are eh, a little bit murky, right? Right. Um, for, for example, you could accidentally eat some meat. Yeah. It's supposed to be vegetarian. There's a drop of, there may, maybe sure. there was an insect in there. You're sure, meat, sure. But, but he's saying animal killing. Right. Animal killing. You can't accidentally, well, you can accidentally kill an you animal when you're driving. You are driving but you can't run into in, a deer, but generally not, right? A killing of an animal is not a thing you just accidentally do very often. Right. So he's right. drawing an absolute line and saying we do not kill animals. Right. And right. anything else is maybe shades of gray. Nobody's but, quite, yeah. yes. But yeah. he's drawing a very absolute line very, there. Very yeah. much so, yes. Because you can't really be merciful. And, you know, it, ultimately it, it has to do with our developing our love for Krishna, right? And if we're not merciful to Krishna's parts and parcels, then how are we going to have any kind of relationship with him? And also, as we said, I think a few weeks ago, uh, it's also these regulated principles are principles of cognition. And, they, and such things, um, activities, block our, make it more difficult for us to have that cognition of Krishna and that relationship with him. I know that devotees will eat always prashadam. Um, Hope so. And then accidentally, um, you know, if they eat something and they found out that there is some meat, is there is anything that, like, as a devotee should do? Uh, you know, it, it's not like by just as he said, like first bite and then like, you know, something is yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, is there is something that uh, we should do? Uh, well, we know from nectar of instruction, the first verse, right, that uh, uh, prayaschitta or Prayaschitta is basically you do something wrong and you make up for it by doing this, right? Like, you know, so many Hail Marys and like that in Catholic Catholicism or whatever. But really, our Prayaschitta is, no, just lament. Hopefully we'll get to that today, if there's time. Lament that we, that, that happened and get on with our bhakti, with our, on with our devotional service. Do you have one that works or is just the red one works today? Just in addition to, you know, what you said is don't have that what the heck effect and continue finishing it. So if you identify it on the very first bite, immediately stop and ask for repentance and, right. you know, chant some more rounds and, you know, ask for forgiveness. Yeah. I was once on Sangerton and I can't remember, I, this was years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And um, I don't know, I, I remember eating something and then I, and I thought I checked the ingredients but I didn't check it thoroughly, and, and it said eggs. So, anyway, 
Hare Krishna. Right. <laughs> what can you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just get on. But once you know, means again, you don't continue. Sometimes people have this attitude of what the heck effect, right? Oh, I broke my kadeshi, so what the heck, now I can eat grains. Yeah, no, yeah. don't do that. No, don't do that. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. Right, and you see in India a lot, people are vegetarian in their homes, right? But not when they go outside. Things like that, right? All right, shall we move on? Uh, text what? Six, yes. If a king is too attracted to eating flesh, he may according to the directions. Okay, so this is a little interesting. Um, here, so in six, seven, and eight, what Narda is doing is um, he's glorifying Vedic principles that are lower than bhakti. Right? That, you know, because at least it's something's better than nothing. That's what we hear in these next three verses. If a king is too attracted to eating flesh, he may, according to the directions of revealed scriptures on sacrificial performances, go to the forest and kill some animals that are recommended for killing. One is not allowed to kill animals unnecessarily or without restriction. So he's still chastising him, but from a different angle now, right? The, Veda, the Vedas regulate animal killing to stop the extravagance of foolish men influenced by the modes of passion and ignorance. So these actions are condemned ultimately for someone whose goal is to attain love for Radha and Krishna. But it's, you know, it's again that something is better than nothing kind of uh, view. <clears throat> because uh, they restrict and therefore purify and channel our, some of our lower tendencies. Mm. And direct us a little towards the spiritual. Okay, carry on. Seven, Narada Muni continued to speak to King Prachini Barhisat. My dear King, any person who works according to the directions of the Vedic scriptures does not become involved in fruitive activities. So again, the, this part of the Vedic scriptures are like the Karmakanda or the restricted ones. Um, and Prabhupada writes, the Vedas contain injunctions, this is right at the beginning, that restrain and regulate all our fruitive activities, karma. All living entities have come into this material world to enjoy themselves. Consequently, the Vedas are given to regulate sense enjoyment. One who enjoys his senses under the Vedic regulated principles does not become entangled in the actions and reactions of his activities. So the re karmic reactions are minimized or gotten rid of. Uh, um, but they're not, no, they're minimized, I think is better, because really only bhakti gets rid of karmic. It's... Uh, Karmakandic activities are like mowing the lawn and bhakti is like pulling out the weeds from the root. Right? You mow a lawn with the weeds, the weeds come up again. Right? But you pull out the root and the root is seeking our enjoyment instead of Krishna's enjoyment. And Prabhupada reminds us, a human being is especially meant to attain liberation from the bondage of birth, death, old age, and disease. He is therefore directed by the Vedic regulated principles to work in such a way that he may fulfill his desires for sense gratification and at the same time gradually become freed from material bondage. So, you know, Lord Chaitanya was like the um, elevator and the Vedic uh, Karmakanda section is like taking the stairs. 
right? If you, it's much better, except when the elevator's broken, to take the elevator up to the top of the Washington Monument. Oh, better in, in the sense that it's a lot quicker. Now, maybe good exercise, but that's a different, <laughs> that's a different point. <laughs> Right, but Lord Chaitanya is, or one, one, one example I heard one time is that you imagine a train going like, like the, the bullet, in the, the name of the train in, um, in Japan, going like 200 kilometers an hour. And uh, Lord Chaitanya stops the train and sends it back the other way 200 kilometers an hour. <laughs> That's one way to look, you know, we're, we're going on this whole karmic journey. And not only does he stop the karma, but Karmani need the hatikin to Japakti Bhajam. It, it, it's, it's going away by the chanting of the holy name of Krishna. Uh, anything else I want to say on seven? Other thoughts on this? Okay. Eight. Otherwise, so the last one of this karma context area. Otherwise, a person who acts whimsically falls down due to false prestige. Thus, he becomes involved in the laws of nature which are composed of the three qualities, goodness, passion, and ignorance. In this way, a living entity becomes devoid of his real intelligence and becomes perpetually perpetually lost in the cycle of birth and death. Thus, he goes up and down from a microbe in stool to a high position in the Brahmaloka planet. That is quite a spectrum microbe in stool to uh, Brahmaloka. Hmm. Next verse. <clears throat> when King Paranjan, so now he's kind of back to his, um, the, the, the main focus of his preaching. When King Paranjan was hunting in this way, many animals within the forest lost their lives with great pain, being pierced by the sharp arrowheads. Upon seeing these devastating, ghastly activities performed by the king, all the people who were merciful by nature became very unhappy. Such merciful persons could not tolerate seeing all this killing. Text 10. In this way, King Purunjan killed many animals, including rabbits, boars, buffalo, bison, black deer, porcupines, and other game animals. After killing and killing, the king became very tired. After this, the king, very much fatigued, hungry, and thirsty, returned to his royal palace. After returning, he took a bath and had an appropriate dinner. He then took rest and thus became freed from all restlessness. Prabhupada writes in the third sentence, King Paranjan returned to his home because he was very much fatigued from hunting animals in the forest. In this way, his conscience came to stop him. That's an important point. Stop him from committing further sinful activities and make him return home. So um, that point about conscience uh, is it's uh, the, the intervention of conscience, conscience is something that we, we hope for. Right and, and want to see that we you know because many times we do activities and we know better. We know we shouldn't be doing this, but we do it anyway, right? And Krishna answered the reason why in the third chapter: Kama Asha, Krota Asha, Rajaguna Samudbhava, Mahasano Mahapatma Vidyena Yavaivram. Because Arjuna asked that question: How is it like 
we know better and we still are forced to do it. Right? And Krishna says it is lust only, which then transforms, uh, unsatiated lust that transforms into anger and is the all-devouring sinful enemy. So we uh, hope and we pray to Krishna that uh, if we start going astray, that our Krishna conscious conscience or whatever it is, guilt, whatever it is, somehow brings us uh, back to uh, the, the, the right path. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened here with King Paranjan. It stopped him from, he, so he's returned home. In Bhagavad Gita, materialistic persons are described as tuskritina, which indicates those who are always engaged in sinful activities. When a person comes to his senses and understands how he is engaging in sinful activities, he returns to his conscience, which is herein figuratively described as a palace. So remember, this is all a allegory. So the palace is like the conscience. So he's returning to his better thought. Generally, a materialistic person is infected by the modes, material modes of passion and ignorance. The results of passion and ignorance are lust and greed. In the life of a materialist, activity means working in lust and greed. However, when he comes to his senses, he wants to retire from those activities. And then Prabhupada Catch picks up on this retirement thing. According to Vedic civilization, such retirement is positively recommended. And this portion of life is called vanaprastha. Retirement is absolutely necessi- necessary for a materialist who wants to become free from the activities of a sinful life. Right, so retirement is a, a good thing. Uh, now what does one do in retirement? That's the question. Uh, probably better not to just play, what, go to Miami and play shuffleboard? Right or uh, or bridge, you know, car, some card game, or something like that, which Prabhupada mentions in some reports that he sees. But really, retire. What, what did Prabhupada say that when you turn? How many? Oh, I won't ask for a show of hands. I was going to ask how many of you are above fifty, but uh, Prabhupada mentions that when you're fifty, it's like a tap on the shoulder from Krishna. Like, you know, death is not that far away, right? And. Um, and one should uh, try to slowly or gradually, depending on the reality of their situation and all the things that we have to consider in the Western world, like finances and paying for children's educations and all that sort of stuff, uh, <clears throat> try to wind down this world because it, the uh, time factor will wind us all down. Right? Even if you have children, I've mentioned this before, Prabhupada says, the would-be children of your children. So you have children, they may be 5, 10, 15 years old. They don't have children yet. But the would-be children of their children will also eventually die. <laughs> death rate is 100%. So, um, so here, Prabhupada's taking advantage of the fact that Pranjan, okay, he, he left, he, left uh, he, he didn't act with his intelligence, and therefore he did all kinds of bad things. And then he, at a certain point in time, he woke up to that, didn't want to do it, and retired from that life. Like that. So um, King Paranjan's coming home, taking bath, and having an appropriate dinner indicate that a materialistic person must retire from sinful activities and become purified by accepting a spiritual master and hearing from him about the values of life. If one would do this, he would feel completely refreshed just as one feels after taking a bath. 
So, um, what else did I want to say about this? If anything? Oh, no, not much. Some thoughts on retirement or or uh, conscience. So one could retire at any age. It's not age specific. As soon as they have this knowledge and realization, they can take steps towards it. And I'm also reminded of Ajamil's pastime. So I was just thinking that <clears throat> when he was given chance, second chance, as we have read it by the um, Vishnu Dutas, uh -huh. and and so kind of he retired. I mean, though he was a Brahmin, but he was living a sinful life all along till. He, his eyes were open. He was. He finally American. retired <laughs> at the age of eighty something. Yes, he had a second chance, like you said. Well, I think uh, I think one one of the key things when we're thinking about retirement is identity. All right. So if we identify uh, with our work solely, then you see people who want to like I, I work. Uh, I, I'm a consultant with this one organization where the founder is seventy five years old. And he's still working every day and still running the whole show because he really identifies with, with the, the nature of the work of the organization and the organization itself. So because that's his identity. And we see, because I do some in my day job, I sometimes give uh, some counsel or advice to people who are considering retiring. And the ones who don't, air quotes, succeed in retirement are those that don't make some any kind of plan, and when they retire, they don't have anything to do, because they're so they so much identified with their work, and now it's Monday, the day after retirement, and they actually can get quite depressed. It could lead to health issues, and you know, you know, more premature death, you know, you know. And whereas people who actually have plans, so now as devotees, we have we can have all kinds of cool plans, right? Imagine what you could do in your life if you didn't have to spend eight or ten hours a day at work? How many more rounds you could chant? How much more outreach you could do? How much longer, more time you could spend in Vrindavan or Mayapur? Right? For, I think for most devotees, we have uh, you know, all kinds of delicious plans once, once we retire. Right? We, you know, uh, Prabhupada writes in the first canto, remember this was written before he came to America, that uh, one can just go to Vrindavan and read the literature of the Goswamis. Right? So, uh, <clears throat> so we would like to do that. We would like to see uh, you know, our family matters taken care of responsibly, our kids taken care of, and, and our finances in a good enough shape that we can say, Ram, Ram. And uh, you know, engage fully in, in devotional service. So devotees are, by Prabhupada's grace, uh, <coughs> divine grace, um, we have all kinds of, you know, the unlimited desires that we could fulfill in retirement, right? And it's good to consider that uh, it's good to retire, as a general rule, while we're still healthy, right? Because you can do a lot less service uh, if you know we wait till uh, the age where we're, you know, more of an invalid and things like that. So, so Maha, you have to become like super rich so that you can take care of your parents and they can all just retire. Okay? <laughs> yes.
some thoughts on retirement or conscience. Those are the two things that came up in this verse. And it's hard to think about when you're young and you're like, what, retirement? But it creeps up on you pretty quickly. <laughs> so all the sannyasis who actually we read about Prabhupada uh, gave them san even sannyas initiation at a very young, very young age, age of just after teens, like they kind of retired the way you're explaining. Yes, they, they, they took, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Andy? Retirement is a good theme anytime in your life. Like I used to like to gamble, but I just retired from it. Yeah, nice. You don't need to. I'll bet you feel better. Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to, it doesn't have to be a exact threshold or a cliff. Right. You just retire from things that aren't useful. Right. And we have many retirements in our uh, in Krishna consciousness all the time, like a codice. Right? We're supposed to try to cut down on bodily necessities and eating and stuff so that we can do more hearing and chanting. Um, sannyasis and sadhus in the past had a retirement for the chaturmasya. Right? Four months in the rainy season, they'd stay in one place. Right? Like uh, Nardamuni taking care of the Bhaktivedantas. Right? Or we have Kartik. And that can be kind of a retirement in one sense, right? People sometimes go to India for a month of Kartik or, or something like that. So we have uh, Prushottamas is this year, right? Yeah, 2020, yeah. So, so we have that kind of already, uh, you know, many, as you're saying, like many retirements, but also, you know, renunciation of things like gambling or whatever. Yeah, um, is... Uh, and we know from Bhagavad Gita that one can be a sannyasi in the householder ashram, or Prabhupada would call grihasta brahmacharis, right? Use that term, right? So, in in, in bhakti and devotional service, we can, um, yeah, it takes on uh, this amazing way of seeing things. But it's a good discussion to have about retirement because uh, um, devotees, uh, you know, Prabhupada would often say. Can you take over in the management of ISKCON so that I can retire and write my books? Right? Like that. So. <clears throat> Are there any other thoughts on this? Yes, Nanamuki. Harry Krishna, just one more sharing on retirement. Like, actually, when I, before I came to America five years ago, my mentality of coming to America is a, a mentality of retiring from the world. Really? You came here to retire from the world? Yes. Because back in China, I have, I have a full-time job. I have my friends, I have my families, I have everything. And then I retired to America as a student. Gotcha. And, and uh, that's five years ago. So, but like I was trying to renounce the world, but then I find as my uh, progress and Krishna consciousness. I find that retirement is not about like closing up things. It's more about open up or expand a new dimension of life. Yeah. And to really enter into like giving up those old thoughts that prevent you from appreciating uh, what this life can really offer. Very nice. Yeah, because and that's that's right in line with because Krishna would say um, that. You know, real sannyasa is an internal thing. 
And one can be a nitya sannyasi in as a grihasta with Bhaktivinotakra, twelve children or whatever. Right? So that's interesting. But you were a devotee when you came to America? No. After after I came to America. Right, so that's uh, I met a group of devotees. Right. <laughs> but you were still taking sannyas by coming to America. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Can we pass it to Sakshi Gopal Prabhu? Is that on? I would like to echo the same thing with Nandimukhi Mataji that uh, Krishna consciousness is one way of retirement, like from the doership. I do everything, you know, as we practice more, uh, that like we are just surrendering more and then like holding to the lotus feet of Krishna and he becomes the doer for all the things that we're supposed to do. So in that way, I feel that it's, I'm retiring from... Uh, from the doership. From material consciousness. Yeah. yeah, we're retiring from material consciousness. Very good. Shall we move on? <clears throat> so, text 12. After this, King Paranjan decorated his body with suitable ornaments. He also smeared scented sandalwood pulp over his body and put on flower garlands. In this way, he became completely refreshed. After this, he began to search out his... His queen, or his intelligence. <laughs> Where did I put my intelligence? After taking his dinner, and uh, this is verse uh, 13. So now from 13 to the end of the chapter, we're hearing about uh, uh, Pranjan's search for and appeasing his queen. Okay? After taking his dinner and having his thirst and hunger satisfied, King Pranjan felt some joy within his heart. Instead of being elevated to a higher consciousness, he became captivated by Cupid and was moved by desire to find his wife, who kept him satisfied in his householder life. At that time, King Paranjan was a little anxious, and he inquired from the household women, My dear, beautiful women, are you and your mistress all very happy like before or not? King Pranjan said, I do not understand why my household paraphernalia does not attract me as before. I think that if there is neither a mother nor a devoted wife at home, the home is like a chariot without wheels. Where is the fool who will sit down on such an unworkable chariot? Kindly let me know the whereabouts of that beautiful woman who always saves me when I am drowning in the ocean of danger. By giving me good intelligence at every step, she always saves me. All the women address the king, O oh, master of the citizens, we do not know why your dear wife has taken on this sort of existence. O oh, killer of enemies, kindly look. She is lying on the ground without bedding. We cannot understand why she is acting in this way. So one interesting thing to note that um, from here to the end of the chapter, um, the Prabhupada in his purports is actually um, praising Krishna conscious married life. Even though somewhat in the verses it's a little different, but uh, Prabhupada is talking about uh, the value of a man having a Krishna conscious wife and uh, for Krishna conscious marriages um, that are based not on pious material enjoyment, which is kind of what Narada is talking about, but rather based on pleasing Krishna. And the purports are... Very much about that. 
The great sage Narada continued, My dear King Prachinibarhi, as soon as King Paranjan saw his queen lying on the ground, appearing like a mendicant, he immediately became bewildered. The king, with a grieved mind, began to speak to his wife with very pleasing words. Although he was filled with regret <clears throat> and tried to pacify her, he could not see any symptoms of anger caused by love within the heart of his beloved wife. Because the king was very expert in flattery, he began to pacify his queen very slowly. First he touched her two feet, then embraced her nicely, seat, uh, sitting her on his lap, and began to speak as follows. And Prabhupada writes, and we can talk about this for a few minutes, because we're actually going to finish this chapter today. Amazing, huh? One who has awakened his Krishna consciousness, uh, one has to awaken his Krishna consciousness by first regretting his past deeds. Let's talk about just that one sentence. One has to awaken his Krishna consciousness by first regretting his past deeds. So regret is an uh, interesting thing. Um, there, there's, well, let's just talk about regret first. It, it, it comes in the mind of a pious person. Prabhupada writes that elsewhere. I think in, he's talking about uh, Yudhisthira Maharaj in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, who was regretting the, um, what he thought was the unnecessary slaughter of so many people in the battle of Kurukshetra. And he says that regret comes to the mind of a, of a good soul. Right? And I think, uh, I, I, interestingly, yes, and I think that's, so that's the first point. Any thoughts on that before we move on to the next point? All right. Correction's not possible. I'm just repeating because you're not using the mic. Yes, because uh, it's kind of a sign of sincerity, right? And in many places, Prabhupada would say that seriousness and sincerity are the uh, secrets of success in spiritual life, right? And, uh, and it's one of the things that we as devotees can pray for, that we can pray for a greater sincerity. Well, we have some sincerity, naturally, that's why we're sitting here. But that sincerity can be increased practically unlimitedly, you know. And one sign of it might be uh, this uh, feeling of regret. Yes? There's following the footsteps and imitating. Where's the mic? Oh, I'm really good at that. Hare Krishna. Yes, so, you can make a show of regret. Yeah, you could just be doing a show of regret because that's expected of you to maintain your social status. Right. So from a materialist perspective, you know, they do more of show than really taking it to heart because, and Srila Prabhupada condemned this concept of going and uh, at the church every Sunday you go and ask for forgiveness for what you have sinned in the past week or so yeah. and then you repeat as you come down yeah. with Monday it starts again and That's then specifically a Catholic practice by yeah. the way. yes yes Catholic practice confession yes yeah so confession yeah so it should not be like that you should actually be correcting yourself should right. be getting to a higher platform than yes. where you are to not repeat it so it's it's an yes. Just on just on the the uh, point you're making about sincerity. Um, I mean, you can fake it all you like, but Krishna knows your heart, 
And um, Prabhupada also said that, you know, the cheater gets a cheater guru. And so uh-huh. sometimes people have asked me, and I've, I've heard them ask other people, you know, how do you know who's, you know, how, how do you know? Because the mind is so tricky what's really true. And uh, Prabhupada has said that your own sincerity will protect you from being cheated. <clears throat> and so that's really important to know and that let Krishna know that you really are sincere, that you want love of God and nothing else. Because right. uh, we have so many other desires that can cheat us and make us fake it till we make it, sort of. Nice. And it's there's so many things to say. One, um, one time when he was asked about uh, with Shama Sundar Prabhu, and they were going over the, the philosophy book, and uh, Shamsara asked, well, are these philosophers Krishna conscious? And Prabhupada said, their sincerity is their Krishna consciousness. <clears throat> so, um, and there, there is something to be said, something, not everything that both of you said is totally right. There's something to be said that fake it till you make it. You know, that you... you uh, you, you you show some, some uh, regret, even though you don't really mean it in your heart, and gradually it, it can you can develop a little bit more. But on the other hand, like uh, my favorite quote from John Lennon, one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. So uh, there there so there you know there's this balance. Now another thing I I, uh, I personally experienced, but also seen in, in talking to devotees and things, is. Regret can become a kind of uh, mental gymnastics. And, and you regret doing something, you regret doing something. What you're doing is you're regretting so much that you're actually focusing on that bad thing. And Krishna says, Then you commit it again because you're f- meditating on it. <laughs> so there's something about, there's some uh, threshold where we regret and then we absorb ourselves in bhakti and okay you know where we don't just lament the regret and then we're just thinking about that bad activity instead of uh, um, you know smartavya satatam vishnu vismartavya najatu chit always remember Krishna and never forget him that, that threshold may be different for each uh, one of us depending on our mental makeup and, and the kind of mind or the three modes of material nature that we have. But it's something to keep in mind that sometimes we think we're so sincere because we're just regretting and regretting all the time instead of actually thinking of Krishna. Right? So it's, it's, a, it's a very tricky balance and where, where that comes in. But it is the first thing. Do you have any thoughts on that, by the way, Rambaru? Well, uh, meditating on the regrets so much that it's almost like you perform that bad activity again. Yeah, in counseling, it's really important, or in chaplaincy, we, you meet people who are regretting. Uh, if you're in the emergency room and you know that you've been drinking and driving or something, you know, oh my God, I have to change something. I did this to myself. and Or you've accidentally killed somebody um, by hitting them with your car. And uh, the rule of thumb for us is not to move too quickly uh, to uh, n- not to move them too quickly to, well, it's okay, God loves you, and just move on. Right. This is really important, that piece of processing that uh, and, and grieving that piece, because it ensures that you 
are less likely to repeat it. Uh-huh. So not just going, well, you know, Krishna loves me anyway, Ram, Ram. let's, let's yeah. just chant Hare Krishna. I think, I think you do need to pause and give it some time. Right. Yeah. So I think, so the key words uh, it's, I got from what you're saying is too quickly. Yeah. So when, yeah, but not too quickly because, yes, you yeah. need to feel that regret. Yeah. It needs to, um, <clears throat> so we have these, you could say in one way, you could say there's four levels of consciousness, the the mind, the intelligence, uh, the chitta, and the false ego, and uh, at least, especially with Krishna consciousness, we want it to go deep into the all four layers. I don't know if it's the same thing for regret. I, I'm not sure about that, but um, but your point is it should it should make an impact on us, and not just Krishna loves us. And I think it's purifying. I do, and I, I think it, if it, if you can get to tears, that can wash a lot of stuff uh, to then pick yourself back up and then chant in here. Right. Nice. Uh, so Prabhupada continues, just as King Paranjan began to flatter his queen, one should, by deliberate consideration, raise himself to the platform of Krishna consciousness. To attain such an end, one must touch the lotus feet of the spiritual master. Krishna consciousness cannot be achieved by self-endeavor. What does that mean? Krishna consciousness cannot be achieved by self-endeavor. Okay, so the Damodar Leela, that's why you're going like this? Okay, so there's Krishna's mercy and our endeavor. Other thoughts on this? Krishna consciousness cannot be achieved by self-endeavor. It's something that Prabhupada used to say that like because of his mercy that like um, he invests, he gives that mercy so that he can be, the others can become a devotee. So it's like spiritual master and a devotee's association or a devotee's mercy uh, that like Narada Muni got mercy from the devotees so that he mm-hmm. became a devotee. And he's giving mercy right now, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that's not only endeavor, but basically without devotees' mercy, the endeavor doesn't work. That's what mm. gets okay. my mind. So we have two important points in these three sentences, right? One has to awaken his Krishna consciousness by first regretting his past deeds, and Krishna consciousness cannot be achieved by self-endeavor. Trying to think anything else on regret. Can we think of other examples besides Yudhisthira in the Shastra of someone experiencing regret? Ajamil? What? Uddhava? Yeah, and then when Vidura met Uddhava, he felt that he could not see Lord Krishna. There's so many events again. Yeah, so uh, what, well, some, what are some of the others? gave that mercy to Didrashta, and Didrashta also regretted, and then he took to Vanaprastha with his wife. Didrashta, yeah, he, he kept on oscillating between regret and... <laughs> and, uh, and the baby in the womb, in the third canto, he ta- Prabhupada talks about how in this suffering condition, he starts to repent, right. being aware that, oh my God, I've gotten myself back into this situation again, and... Like that, and right. Prabhupada explains sure. exactly Child what you're talking womb. about. How that right. it, the, often this, this living entity has to be in a suffering suffering condition to start to ask questions. <laughs> Very good. Other examples? Yes. 
Dhruva Maharaj. That I, I was looking for a broken glass, that one? Okay, very good. What? Did Dhruva Maharaj go wait, wait, through? I can't hear. Chitraketu. Chitraketu, yeah. Chitraketu, yeah, pretty much everybody. <laughs> yes, Chitraketu Maharaj. Did Dhruva uh, go through regret? Who? Dhruva. Maharaj. Yeah, Dhruva Maharaj was saying, uh, uh, I was looking for broken glass and I got this greatest thing. Well, I wasted, you know? Yeah, definitely. Who didn't? Well, I was thinking of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's poetry, especially his Sharanagati, where he's regretting having wasted, you know, his life and now in this old age, right? And how, you know, he talked about I just pursued material pursuits and education and, and academia and things like this. So even Indra also. So now Indra, yeah, Indra, Indra had lots of regret. <laughs> yeah, he, Indra was like always apologizing for something. <laughs> Stealing of the cowherd boys to Lord Brahma. So, yeah, that, that's right. Lord Brahma was like, well, Krishna definitely taught him a lesson. Vyasadeva, very good. Vyasadeva is regretting writing all these books that Brahma, may have encouraged was, material Kaliya, Kaliya. enjoyment. Kaliya yeah. regretted? Yes, Maha Mantra? Madai, yeah, right. See how much it's amazing, right? One sentence is we could this whole. It's such an important thing that's being exemplified again and again in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Nanuragaha. Yes, I. You know, Lord Chaitanya is lamenting. Lord Brahma, which which time? Brahma, behold, Mohan Lila. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. Who? Kaikei. What's that one? Oh, Kaikei, yes, in the Ramayana, yes. Yeah, oh my God, she really, I really blew it. So we can also learn from this, let's try to do less things that we have to lament about. <laughs> right? Let's try not to do a, I mean, of course, Kaikei, it's Leela and all that, but you know, she did a big thing that had huge consequences. Right, so let's try not to do things that have such huge consequences. It can even be things like making sure we get enough rest before we have a long drive, because that can have consequences. Right, uh, or the way, or or you know, eating prasadam in such a way that is detrimental to our health, and then lamenting that we have diabetes or this or that. Right, so. It's good to be, uh, for, I don't like this word that much, but proactive in, in some of our attempts so that we don't lament in the future. Right? But there's so many of the Vaishnava acharyas talk about wasting light, wasting time. Yeah. Okay, anything else on lamentation? No, one from real life. One of the Matajis, she had a stroke. And she was sharing me with me one day. She said that, take it from me. I have wasted my life. Uh, yeah. She was really, truly regretting for not taking to Holy Names the way she should have. And so she said that, whatever you know to this day, just be more sincere with chanting of that's the Holy the... Names. That's what we have committed to Guru Maharaj. And that's what prime instruction is. Yeah, that's an so, important point. That's what Bhaktivinoda Thakur ends with, right? He's lamenting, lamenting, lamenting. And he said, but then he says there is hope. There is hope, right? In uh, Sri Sachinandan, Lord Chaitanya, there's hope in Lord Nityananda. 
So, so as long as we're lamenting, but there is, but Krishna is very kind. Okay, so uh, let's move on. King Paranjan said, my dear beautiful wife, when a master accepts a servant as his own man, but does not punish him for his offense, the servant must be considered unfortunate. So Prabhupada writes, in the same way, when a person is punished by the law of nature, by the will of God, he should not be disturbed. A real devotee thinks in this way. When a devotee is put into an awkward position, he takes it as the mercy of the Supreme Lord. And probably many of you know this verse. It's a very important verse. Tatenu kampam sukshamikshamano punjani yevatma kritam vipakam ridbag vapurbhir vidatam namaste jiveta yo mukti pade sadhayabak. This verse states that the devotee accepts a reversal of his position in life as a benediction by the Lord and consequently offers the Lord more obeisances and prayers, thinking that the punishment is due to his past misdeeds and that the Lord is punishing him very mildly. The punishment awarded by the state or by God for one's own faults is actually one's, for one's benefit. In the Manu Sanghita, it is said that the king should be considered merciful when he condemns a murderer to death because a murderer punished in this life becomes freed from his sinful activity and in the next life takes birth cleared of all sins. <clears throat> now this, I think this is an important last sentence. If one accepts punishment as a reward dealt by the master, he becomes intelligent enough to not commit the same mistakes again. So from our side, you know, if we, if we feel some punishment or, or, or challenges that go on in our life, um, we can be, as here he says, intelligent not to commit the same mistake again and also take it as Krishna. It can increase our Krishna consciousness. It also um, means that when we, if we ever are giving punishment, whether it's to a child or in a situation, we want to do it in such a way that the person... Uh, feels it as a reward. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Right? Feels, or in, in Krishna, feels the bhakti when the spiritual master chastises them or the parent or the temple president or whatever. Because uh, it says, if one accepts punishment as a reward, he becomes intelligent not to do it again. Yes? So you spoke about... Uh mention about the regret or lamenting, right? So yes. I have a, maybe a stupid question, but I still wanted to ask. Uh, like, let's say you didn't have a plan to leave the house, uh, but then for some reason you, you, you had to leave. So you made a choice that you were leaving the house and right. you, then you met with an accident. Right. And then you are on the road, uh, helpless, and then you are thinking, why did I leave the house? Right. So, so you mentioned about the black and white choices, but what... About the gray, the gray areas. Yeah. That's a really good question. Yeah. Thank you. Do you. Rob Rude, do you want to answer that? I, I wasn't sure of question. Well, you know, it's, it's clear if you, do, if you consciously do something wrong, but sometimes we beat ourselves up like, oh, if I had not taken that phone call, I wouldn't have been on the road at that time and met with this accident or banged up my parents' car, or, you know, whatever, those kind of things that aren't necessarily non, they're kind of non-secutors, but we can still, am I getting this right? We can still beat ourselves up about it. Did you, did you say you had an accident? No, he didn't say, he wasn't using his own self as an example, but just, 
Just well, saying in general. Yeah, I, I haven't had time really to think deeply about it, but my immediate response might be that, because I meet people who say that, and I've said that before, that, gosh, I wish, I wish, that in some ways it's perfect. Whatever happens, in some ways it's, it's there's destiny attached to it. It's not you're not just the doer, and sometimes we bump into people and things that um, you know we wish we hadn't. But perhaps that is uh, Krishna's arrangement, and you may not know what it's good for, but it may it may uh, mean something to someone else. Um, we're kind of players in a bigger cosmic arrangement, and so. If something happens, not a blade of grass moves without the sanction of the Supreme. We have to understand Krishna allowed it. So if Krishna didn't want it to happen in some ways, he might have interfered or intervened. But the fact that it happened means that man proposes, God disposes somehow. So knowingly and unknowingly, often we create the situation we are in. And so... uh, yeah, you can't bring back the past, you can't change it. But uh, might And also be. this verse that we just quoted says that uh, we try to see that I, I have my karma and it would have been, could have been worse, but Krishna may have minimized it. There's that too. It. Yeah. There's um, that too. But there is that, you know, we have, we have really, it's so hard to understand what our karma is, what we did in previous lives, um, many, 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 many previous lives, uh, and how that might affect what happens to us. So I think one of the keys also is not so much, not focus as much on what happens to us, but how we react to what happens to us. Uh, And in this case, uh, maybe not beat ourselves up so much um, because it wasn't our intention, let's say, to go out and have that, whatever that terrible, that unfortunate thing happen. And we didn't know at the time that, uh, you know, if I didn't go out that day, you know, we, you know, because it's so hard to know the future. We don't know the future. And and I would add to that 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 somehow or other our relationship with the material energy, ha- depending on whether we are living in a life of ignorance or whether we have actually surrendered to uh, uh, the, the Krishna, and we've said to Krishna at some time, "Please guide me. I'm yours," or whatever. That the car- things like that happen. Sometimes as a, a kick from Maya, sometimes it is also tailor-made when we are situated right, rightly as a, an opportunity to learn something. And so my question would always be, okay, what did you learn from that? Um, instead of, be, okay, so this happened, what, what perhaps is Krishna trying to show me right. what through we, yes. the material energy? What, what can I learn? Right. And sometimes I hear devotees say that Krishna uses our karma to teach us. Because our karma isn't totally gone just by chanting. I mean, just by initially taking up to bhakti. Does that that help at all? Yeah, thank you. It was a great question. It wasn't a bad question at all. It was a brilliant question. So let's try to finish this chapter then. uh, We just have a few minutes. My dear slender maiden, when a master chastises his servant, the servant should accept this as great mercy. One who becomes angry must be very foolish not to know that such is the duty of his friend. So what he's doing, he's, ups, he's upset with his wife because she's not telling him why she's angry at him. She said, please, chastise me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. My dear wife, your teeth are very beautifully set and your attractive features make you appear very thoughtful. Kindly give up your anger, be merciful unto me, and please smile upon me with loving attachment. When I see a smile on your beautiful face and when I see your hair, which is as beautiful as the color blue, and see your raised nose and hear your sweet talk, 
you will become more beautiful to me and thus attract me and oblige me. You are my most respected mistress. And here it doesn't, mistress doesn't mean in the present context of a, yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Oh, hero's wife, kindly tell me if someone has offended you. I am prepared to give, this is an interesting what he says, I am prepared to give such a person punishment as long as he does not belong to the Brahmana caste. <laughs> Uh, but for the servant of Krishna, I excuse no one within or beyond these three worlds. No one can freely move after offending you, for I am prepared to punish them. My dear wife, until this day I have never seen your face without tilak decorations, nor have I seen you so morose and without luster or affection, nor have, nor have I seen your two nice breasts wet with tears from your eyes, nor have I ever before seen your lips, which are ordinarily as red as the bimba fruit, without their reddish hue. My dear queen, due to my sinful desires, I went to the forest to hunt without asking you. Therefore, I must admit that I have offended you. Nonetheless, thinking of me as your most intimate subordinate, you should still be very much pleased with me. Factually, I am very much bereaved. But being pierced by the arrow of Cupid, I am feeling lusty. But where is the beautiful woman who would give up her lusty husband and refuse to unite with him? More next chapter. And how much time do we have left? Five minutes. So well, the one thing we can just focus on is uh, in the purport to 24, Prabhupada talks about Vaishnava Aparad. Um, once pure conscious intelligence or pure Krishna consciousness becomes polluted by material activities, pure consciousness can be revived by the process of sacrifice, charity, pious activities, etc., but when one pollutes his Krishna consciousness by offending a Brahmana or a Vaishnava, it is very difficult to revive. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has described the Vaishnava apparatus or offense to a Vaishnava as a mad elephant offense. One should be very careful not to offend a Vaishnava or a Brahmana. So that we've talked about this so many times, but it's something that we should be uh, careful of. It doesn't mean there can't be you know, constructive criticism and trying to help uh, but it's the ninda, the, the word in Sanskrit is ninda, sadhu ninda, paramam aparada uh, vitanute. And ninda means, uh, I guess the way we could translate it in English is malice. When you really don't want good, you actually kind of want bad for another person. And so that's when it really becomes uh, a bad thing. So we should, even if we totally disagree with another devotee uh, about this or that, uh, we can still respectfully disagree. We can say, I have a totally different opinion than you on that, my dear Prabhu. Without saying, oh, you are totally off the wall. What a jerk. You know, instead, you can, you know, we can catch ourselves. Because we... It's all right. I'm thinking Krishna is telling me something. Uh, we can catch ourselves because we remember that despite our differences... This other devotee has a relationship with Krishna. And so I don't, you know, want to respect that relationship by, by being respectful to them. Anything on Vaishnava Parad? I think it's just really helpful if we can bear in mind before we say something to be able to communicate our care and share our truth, which is probably the hardest thing ever yeah. to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My son always tells me, um, always respond with kindness. So, 
<laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> so let us do something that we rarely do in this class, and early, even if it's by two minutes. So, um, so hum? No. Uh, there will be class next week. Uh, so we'll see you all next week. Kantarad Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. <laughs>